Section twenty one of Rome. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Rome by Emil Zola, translated by Ernest Visitelli. Chapter eleven, part one. Although Pierre knew that he would be unable to see Cardinal Sanguinetti before eleven o'clock, he nevertheless availed himself of an early train so that it was barely nine when he alighted at the little station of frascati he had already visited the place during his enforced idleness when he had made the classical excursion to the roman castles which extend from frascati to rocco di papa and from rocco di papa to monte cavo and he was now delighted with the prospect of strolling for a couple of hours along those first slopes of the alban hills where amidst rushes olives and vines frascati like a promontory overlooks the immense ruddy sea of the campagna even as far as rome which six full leagues away wears the whitish aspect of a marble isle ah that charming frascati on its greeny knoll at the foot of the wooded tusculan heights with its famous terrace whence one enjoys the finest view in the world its old patrician villas with proud and elegant renaissance facades and magnificent parks which planted with cypress pine and ilex are forever green there was a sweetness a delight a fascination about the spot of which pierre would never have wearied and for more than an hour he had wandered blissfully along roads edged with ancient knotty olive trees along dingle ways shaded by the spreading foliage of neighbouring estates and along perfumed paths at each turn of which the campagna was seen stretching far away when all at once he was accosted by a person whom he was both surprised and annoyed to meet he had strolled down to some low ground near the railway station some old vineyards where a number of new houses had been built of recent years and suddenly saw a stylish pair horse victoria coming from the direction of rome draw up close by whilst its occupant called to him what monsieur l'abbé fromont are you taking a walk here at this early hour thereupon pierre recognized count luigi prada who alighted shook hands with him and began to walk beside him whilst the empty carriage went on in advance and forthwith the count explained his tastes i seldom take the train he said i drive over it gives my horses an outing i have interests over here as you may know a big building enterprise which is unfortunately not progressing very well and so although the season is advanced i am obliged to come rather more frequently than i care to do as prada suggested pierre was acquainted with the story the bocaneras had been obliged to sell a sumptuous villa which a cardinal of their family had built at frascati in accordance with the plans of giacomo della porta during the latter part of the sixteenth century a regal summer residence it had been finely wooded with groves and basins and cascades and in particular a famous terrace projecting like a cape above the roman campagna whose expanse stretches from the sabine mountains to the mediterranean sands through the division of the property benedetta had inherited from her mother some very extensive vineyards below frascati and these she had brought as dowry to prada at the very moment when the building mania was extending from rome into the provinces and thereupon prada had conceived the idea of erecting on the spot a number of middle-class villas like those which litter the suburbs of paris few purchasers however had come forward the financial crash had supervened and he was now with difficulty liquidating this unlucky business having indemnified his wife at the time of their separation and then he continued addressing pierre one can come and go as one likes with a carriage whereas on taking the train one is at the mercy of the timetable this morning for instance i have appointments with contractors experts and lawyers 
and i have no notion how long they will keep me it's a wonderful country isn't it and we are quite right to be proud of it in rome although i may have some worries just now i can never set foot here without my heart beating with delight a circumstance which he did not mention was that his amica lisbeth kaufmann had spent the summer in one of the newly erected villas where she had installed her studio and had been visited by all the foreign colony which tolerated her irregular position on account of her gay spirits and artistic talent indeed people had even ended by accepting the outcome of her connection with prada and a fortnight previously she had returned to rome and there given birth to a son an event which had again revived all the scandalous tittle-tattle respecting benedetta's divorce suite and prada's attachment to frascati doubtless sprang from the recollection of the happy hours he had spent there and the joyful pride with which the birth of the boy inspired him pierre for his part felt ill at ease in the young count's presence for he had an instinctive hatred of money-mongers and men of prey nevertheless he desired to respond to his amiability and so inquired after his father old orlando the hero of the liberation oh replied prada excepting for his legs he's in wonderfully good health he'll live a hundred years poor father i should so much have liked to install him in one of these little houses last summer but i could not get him to consent he's determined not to leave rome he's afraid perhaps that it might be taken away from him during his absence then the young count burst into a laugh quite merry at the thought of jeering at the heroic but no longer fashionable age of independence and afterwards he said my father was speaking of you again only yesterday monsieur l'abbé he is astonished that he has not seen you lately this distressed pierre for he had begun to regard orlando with respectful affection since his first visit he had twice called on the old hero but the latter had refused to broach the subject of rome so long as his young friend should not have seen felt and understood everything there would be time for a talk later on said he when they were both in a position to formulate their conclusions pray tell count orlando responded pierre that i have not forgotten him and that if i have deferred a fresh visit it is because i desire to satisfy him however i certainly will not leave rome without going to tell him how deeply his kind greeting has touched me whilst talking the two men slowly followed the ascending road past the newly erected villas several of which were not yet finished and when prada learned that the priest had come to call on cardinal sanguinetti he again laughed with the laugh of a good-natured wolf showing his white fangs true he exclaimed the cardinal has been here since the pope has been laid up ah you'll find him in a pretty fever why why because there's bad news about the holy father this morning when i left rome it was rumoured that he had spent a fearful night so speaking prada halted at a bend of the road not far from an antique chapel a little church of solitary mournful grace of aspect on the verge of an olive grove beside it stood a ruinous building the old parsonage no doubt whence there suddenly emerged a tall knotty priest with coarse and earthy face who after roughly locking the door went off in the direction of the town ah resumed the count in a tone of raillery that fellow's heart also must be beating violently he's surely gone to your cardinal in search of news pierre had looked at the priest i know him he replied i saw him i remember on the day after my arrival at cardinal Bocaneras. He brought the cardinal a basket of figs and asked him for a certificate in favour of his young brother who had been sent to prison for some deed of violence a knife thrust if i recollect rightly however the cardinal absolutely refused him the certificate 
it's the same man said prada you may depend on it he was often at the villa bocanera formerly for his young brother was gardener there but he's now the client the creature of cardinal sanguinetti Sandobono, his name is and he's a curious character such as you wouldn't find in france i fancy he lives all alone in that falling hovel and officiates at that old chapel of saint mary in the fields where people don't go to hear mass three times in a year yes it's a perfect sinecure which with its stipend of a thousand francs enables him to live there like a peasant philosopher cultivating the somewhat extensive garden whose big walls you see yonder the close to which he called attention stretched down the slope behind the parsonage without an aperture like some savage place of refuge into which not even the eye could penetrate and all that could be seen above the left-hand wall was a superb gigantic fig tree whose big leaves showed blackly against the clear sky prada had moved on again and continued to speak of santa bono who evidently interested him fancy a patriot priest a garibaldian born at nemi in that yet savage nook among the alban hills he belonged to the people and was still near to the soil however he had studied and knew sufficient history to realize the past greatness of rome and dream of the re-establishment of roman dominion as represented by young italy and he had come to believe with passionate fervor that only a great pope could realize his dream by seizing upon power and then conquering all the other nations and what could be easier since the pope commanded millions of catholics did not half europe belong to him france spain and austria would give way as soon as they should see him powerful dictating laws to the world germany and great britain indeed all the protestant countries would also inevitably be conquered for the papacy was the only dyke that could be opposed to error which must some day fatally succumb in its efforts against such a barrier politically however santo bono had declared himself for germany for he considered that france needed to be crushed before she would throw herself into the arms of the holy father and thus contradictions and fancies clashed in his foggy brain whose burning ideas swiftly turned to violence under the influence of primitive racial fierceness briefly the priest was a barbarian upholder of the gospel a friend of the humble and woeful a sectarian of that school which is capable alike of great virtues and great crimes yes concluded prada he is now devoted to cardinal sanguinetti because he believes that the latter will prove the great pope of tomorrow who is to make rome the one capital of the nations at the same time he doubtless harbours a lower personal ambition that of attaining to a canonry or of gaining assistance in the little worries of life as when he wished to extricate his brother from trouble here you know people stake their luck on a cardinal just as they nurse a tray in the lottery and if their cardinal proves the winning number and becomes pope they gain a fortune and that's why you now see santa bono striding along yonder all anxiety to know if leo thirteen will die and sanguinetti don the tiara do you think the pope so very ill then asked pierre both anxious and interested the count smiled and raised both arms ah said he can one ever tell they all get ill when their interest lies that way however i believe that the pope is this time really indisposed a complaint of the bowels it is said and at his age you know the slightest indisposition may prove fatal the two men took a few steps in silence then the priest again asked a question would cardinal sanguinetti have a great chance if the holy see were vacant a great chance ah that's another of those things which one never knows the truth is people class sanguinetti among the acceptable candidates and if personal desire sufficed he would certainly be the next pope for ambition consumes him to the marrow 
and he displays extraordinary passion and determination in his efforts to succeed but therein lies his very weakness he is using himself up and he knows it and so he must be resolved to every step during the last days of battle you may be quite sure that if he has shut himself up here at this critical time it is in order that he may the better direct his operations from a distance whilst at the same time feigning a retreat a disinterestedness which is bound to have a good effect then prada began to expatiate on sanguinetti with no little complacency for he liked the man's spirit of intrigue his keen conquering appetite his excessive and even somewhat blundering activity he had become acquainted with him on his return from the nunciature at vienna when he had already resolved to win the tiara that ambition explained everything his quarrels and reconciliations with the reigning pope his affection for germany followed by a sudden evolution in the direction of france his varying attitude with regard to italy at first a desire for agreement and then absolute rejection of all compromises a refusal to grant any concession so long as rome should not be evacuated this indeed seemed to be sanguinetti's definite position he made a show of disliking the wavering sway of leo XIII, and of retaining a fervent admiration for pius IX, the great heroic pope of the days of resistance whose goodness of heart had proved no impediment to unshakable firmness and all this was equivalent to a promise that he sanguinetti would again make kindliness exempt from weakness the rule of the church and steer clear of the dangerous compoundings of politics nevertheless at bottom politics were his only dream and he had even formulated a complete program of intentional vagueness which his clients and creatures spread abroad with an air of rapturous mystery however since a previous indisposition of the popes during the spring he had been living in mortal disquietude for it had then been rumoured that the jesuits would resign themselves to support cardinal pio bocconera although the latter scarcely favoured them he was rough and stern no doubt and his extreme bigotry might be a source of danger in this tolerant age but on the other hand was he not a patrician and would not his election imply that the papacy would never cease to claim the temporal power from that moment bocconera had been the one man whom sanguinetti feared for he beheld himself despoiled of his prize and spent his time in devising plans to rid himself of such a powerful rival repeating abominable stories of cardinal pio's alleged complaisance with regard to benedetta and dario and incessantly representing him as antichrist the man of sin whose reign would consummate the ruin of the papacy finally to regain the support of the jesuits sanguinetti's last idea was to repeat through his familiars that for his part he would not merely maintain the principle of the temporal power intact but would even undertake to regain that power and he had a full plan on the subject which folks confided to one another in whispers a plan which in spite of its apparent concessions would lead to the overwhelming victory of the church it was to raise the prohibition which prevented catholics from voting or becoming candidates at the italian elections to send a hundred then two hundred and then three hundred deputies to the chamber and in that wise to overthrow the house of savoy and establish a federation of the italian provinces whereof the holy father once more placed in possession of rome would become the august and sovereign president as prada finished he again laughed showing his white teeth teeth which would never readily relinquish the prey they held so you see he added we need to defend ourselves since it's a question of turning us out fortunately there are some little obstacles in the way of that nevertheless such dreams naturally have great influence on excited minds such as that of santo bono for instance 
he's a man whom one word from sanguinetti would lead far indeed ah he has good legs look at him up yonder he has already reached the cardinal's little palace that white villa with the sculptured balconies pierre raised his eyes and perceived the episcopal residence which was one of the first houses of frascati of modern construction and renaissance style it overlooked the immensity of the roman campagna it was now eleven o'clock and as the young priest before going up to pay his own visit bade the count good-bye the latter for a moment kept hold of his hand do you know said he it would be very kind of you to lunch with me will you come and join me at that restaurant yonder with the pink front as soon as you are at liberty i shall have settled my own business in an hour's time and i shall be delighted to have your company at table pierre began by declining but he could offer no possible excuse and at last surrendered won over despite himself by prada's real charm of manner when they had parted the young priest only had to climb a street in order to reach the cardinal's door with his natural expansiveness and craving for popularity sanguinetti was easy of access and at frascati in particular his doors were flung open even to the most humble cassocks so pierre was at once ushered in a circumstance which somewhat surprised him for he remembered the bad humour of the servant whom he had seen on calling at the cardinal's residence in rome when he had been advised to forego the journey as his eminence did not like to be disturbed when he was ill however nothing spoke of illness in that pleasant villa flooded with sunshine true the waiting-room where he was momentarily left alone displayed neither luxury nor comfort but it was brightened by the finest light in the world and overlooked that extraordinary campagna so flat so bare and so unique in its beauty for in front of it one ever dreams and sees the past arise and so whilst waiting pierre stationed himself at an open window conducting on to a balcony and his eyes roamed over the endless sea of herbage to the far-away whiteness of rome above which rose the dome of st peter's at that distance a mere sparkling speck barely as large as the nail of one's little finger however the young man had scarcely taken up this position when he was surprised to hear some people talking their words reaching him with great distinctness and on leaning forward he realized that his eminence in person was standing on another balcony close by and conversing with a priest only a portion of whose cassock could be seen still this sufficed for pierre to recognize santa bono his first impulse dictated by natural discretion was to withdraw from the window but the words he next heard riveted him to the spot we shall know in a moment his eminence was saying in his full voice i sent eufemio to rome for he is the only person in whom i have any confidence and see there is the train bringing him back a train still as small as a plaything could in fact be seen approaching over the vast plain and doubtless it was to watch for its arrival that sanguinetti had stationed himself on the balcony and there he lingered with his eyes fixed on distant rome then santo bono in a passionate voice spoke some words which pierre imperfectly understood but the cardinal with clear articulation rejoined yes yes my dear fellow a catastrophe would be a great misfortune ah may his holiness long be preserved to us then he paused and as he was no hypocrite gave full expression to the thoughts which were in his mind at least i hope that he will be preserved just now for the times are bad and i am in frightful anguish the partisans of antichrist have lately gained much ground a cry escaped santo bono oh your eminence will act and triumph i my dear fellow what would you have me do i am simply at the disposal of my friends 
those who are willing to believe in me with the sole object of ensuring the victory of the holy see it is they who ought to act it is they each according to the measure of his means who ought to bar the road to the wicked in order that the righteous may succeed ah oh, if antichrist should reign the recurrence of this word antichrist greatly disturbed pierre but he suddenly remembered what the count had told him antichrist was cardinal bocanera think of that my dear fellow continued sanguinetti picture antichrist at the vatican consummating the ruin of religion by his implacable pride his iron will his gloomy passion for nihility for there can be no doubt of it he is the beast of death announced by the prophecies the beast who will expose one and all to the danger of being swallowed up with him in his furious rush into abysmal darkness i know him he only dreams of obstinacy and destruction he will seize the pillars of the temple and shake them in order that he may sink beneath the ruins he and the whole catholic world in less than six months he will be driven from rome at strife with all the nations execrated by italy and roaming the world like the phantom of the last pope it was with a low growl suggestive of a stifled oath that santo bono responded to this frightful prediction but the train had now reached the station and among the few passengers who had alighted pierre could distinguish a little abbe who was walking so fast that his cassock flapped against his hips it was abbe eofemio the cardinal's secretary and when he had perceived his eminence on the balcony he lost all self-respect and broke into a run in order that he might the sooner ascend the sloping street ah here's eofemio exclaimed the cardinal quivering with anxiety we shall know now we shall know now the secretary had plunged into the doorway below and he climbed the stairs with such rapidity that almost immediately afterwards pierre saw him rush breathlessly across the waiting-room and vanish into the cardinal's sanctum sanguinetti had quitted the balcony to meet his messenger but soon afterwards he returned to it asking questions venting exclamations raising in fact quite a tumult over the news which he had received and so it's really true the night was a bad one his holiness scarcely slept colic you are told but nothing could be worse at his age it might carry him off in a couple of hours and the doctors what do they say the answer did not reach pierre but he understood its purport as the cardinal in his naturally loud voice resumed oh the doctors never know besides when they refuse to speak death is never far off ah what a misfortune if the catastrophe cannot be deferred for a few days then he became silent and pierre realized that his eyes were once more traveling towards rome gazing with ambitious anguish at the dome of st peter's that little sparkling speck above the vast ruddy plain what a commotion what agitation if the pope were dead and he wished that it had merely been necessary for him to stretch forth his arm in order to take and hold the eternal city the holy city which yonder on the horizon occupied no more space than a heap of gravel cast there by a child's spade and he was already dreaming of the coming conclave when the canopy of each other cardinal would fall and his own motionless and sovereign would crown him with purple but you are right my friend he suddenly exclaimed addressing santa bono one must act the salvation of the church is at stake and besides it is impossible that heaven should not be with us since our sole desire is its triumph if necessary at the supreme moment heaven will know how to crush antichrist then for the first time pierre distinctly heard the voice of santo bono who gruffly with a sort of savage decision responded oh if heaven is tardy it shall be helped that was all 
the young man heard nothing further save a confused murmur of voices the speakers quitted the balcony and his spell of waiting began afresh in the sunlit salon so peaceful and delightful in its brightness but all at once the door of his eminence's private room was thrown wide open and a servant ushered him in and he was surprised to find the cardinal alone for he had not witnessed the departure of the two priests who had gone off by another door the cardinal with his highly coloured face big nose thick lips square-set vigorous figure which still looked young despite his sixty years was standing near a window in the bright golden light he had put on the paternal smile with which he greeted even the humblest from motives of good policy and as soon as pierre had knelt and kissed his ring he motioned him to a chair sit down dear son sit down you have come of course about that unfortunate affair of your book i am very pleased indeed to be able to speak with you about it he himself then took a chair in front of that window overlooking rome whence he seemed unable to drag himself and the young priest whilst apologizing for coming to disturb his rest perceived that he scarcely listened for his eyes again sought the prey which he so ardently coveted yet the semblance of good-natured attention was perfect and pierre marvelled at the force of will which this man must possess to appear so calm so interested in the affairs of others when such a tempest was raging in him your eminence will i hope kindly forgive me continued the young priest but you have done right to come since i am kept here by my failing health said the cardinal besides i am somewhat better and it is only natural that you should wish to give me some explanations and defend your work and enlighten my judgment in fact i was astonished at not yet having seen you for i know that your faith in your cause is great and that you spare no steps to convert your judges so speak my dear son i am listening and shall be pleased indeed if i can absolve you pierre was caught by these kind words and a hope returned to him that of winning the support of the all-powerful prefect of the index he already regarded this ex-nuncio who at brussels and vienna had acquired the worldly art of sending people away satisfied with indefinite promises though he meant to grant them nothing as a man of rare intelligence and exquisite cordiality and so once more he regained the fervour of his apostolate to express his views respecting the future rome the rome he dreamt of which was destined yet again to become the mistress of the world if she would return to the christianity of jesus to an ardent love for the weak and the humble sanguinetti smiled wagged his head and raised exclamations of rapture very good very good indeed perfect oh i agree with you dear son one cannot put things better it is quite evident all good minds must agree with you and then said he the poetic side deeply touched him like leo thirteen and doubtless in a spirit of rivalry he courted the reputation of being a very distinguished latinist and professed a special and boundless affection for virgil i know i know he exclaimed i remember your page on the return of spring which consoles the poor whom winter has frozen oh i read it three times over and are you aware that your writing is full of latin turns of style i noticed more than fifty expressions which could be found in the bucolics your book is a charm a perfect charm as he was no fool and realized that the little priest before him was a man of high intelligence he ended by interesting himself not in pierre personally but in the profit which he might possibly derive from him amidst his feverish intrigues he unceasingly sought to utilize all the qualities possessed by those whom god sent to him that might in any way be conducive to his own triumph so for a moment he turned away from rome and looked his companion in the face listening to him and asking himself in what way he might employ him either at once in the crisis through which he was passing 
or later on when he should be pope but the young priest again made the mistake of attacking the temporal power and of employing that unfortunate expression a new religion thereupon the cardinal stopped him with a gesture still smiling still retaining all his amiability although the resolution which he had long since formed became from that moment definitive you are certainly in the right on many points my dear son he said and i often share your views share them completely but come you are doubtless not aware that i am the protector of lourdes here at rome and so after the page which you have written about the grotto how can i possibly pronounce in your favour and against the fathers pierre was utterly overcome by this announcement for he was indeed unaware of the cardinal's position with respect to lourdes nobody having taken the precaution to warn him however each of the catholic enterprises distributed throughout the world has a protector at rome a cardinal who is designated by the pope to represent it and if need be to defend it those good fathers sanguinetti continued in a gentle voice you have caused them great grief and really our hands are tied we cannot add to their sorrow if you only knew what a number of masses they send us i know more than one of our poor priests who would die of hunger if it were not for them pierre could only bow beneath the blow once more he found himself in presence of the pecuniary question the necessity in which the holy see is placed to secure the revenue it requires one year with another and thus the pope was ever in servitude for if the loss of rome had freed him of the cares of state his enforced gratitude for the alms he received still riveted him to earth so great indeed were the requirements that money was the ruler the sovereign power before which all bowed at the court of rome and now sanguinetti rose to dismiss his visitor you must not despair dear son he said effusively i have only my own vote you know and i promise you that i will take into account the excellent explanations which you have just given me and who can tell if god be with you he will save you even in spite of all this speech formed part of the cardinal's usual tactics for one of his principles was never to drive people to extremes by sending them away hopeless what good indeed would it do to tell this one that the condemnation of his book was a foregone conclusion and that his only prudent course would be to disavow it only a savage like bocanera breathed anger upon fiery souls and plunged them into rebellion you must hope hope repeated sanguinetti with a smile as if implying a multitude of fortunate things which he could not plainly express thereupon pierre who was deeply touched felt born anew he even forgot the conversation he had surprised the cardinal's keen ambition and covert rage with his redoubtable rival besides might not intelligence take the place of heart among the powerful if this man should some day become pope and had understood him might he not prove the pope who was awaited the pope who would accept the task of reorganizing the church of the united states of europe and making it the spiritual sovereign of the world so he thanked him with emotion bowed and left him to his dream standing before that widely open window whence rome appeared to him glittering like a jewel even indeed as the tiara of gold and gems in the splendour of the autumn sun it was nearly one o'clock when pierre and count prada were at last able to sit down to dejeuner in the little restaurant where they had agreed to meet they had both been delayed by their affairs however the count having settled some worrying matters to his own advantage was very lively whilst the priest on his side was again hopeful and yielded to the delightful charm of that last fine day and so the meal proved a very pleasant one in the large bright room 
which as usual at that season of the year was quite deserted pink and blue predominated in the decoration but cupids fluttered on the ceiling and landscapes vaguely recalling the roman castles adorned the walls the things they ate were fresh and they drank the wine of frascati to which the soil imparts a kind of burnt flavour as if the old volcanoes of the region had left some little of their fire behind for a long while the conversation ranged over those wild and graceful alban hills which fortunately for the pleasure of the eye overlook the flat roman campagna pierre who had made the customary carriage excursion from frascati to nemi still felt its charm and spoke of it in glowing language first came the lovely road from frascati to albano ascending and descending hillsides planted with reeds vines and olive trees amongst which one obtained frequent glimpses of the campagna's wavy immensity on the left hand the village of rocca di papa arose in amphitheatrical fashion showing whitely on a knoll below monte cavo which was crowned by lofty and ancient trees and from this point of the road on looking back towards frascati one saw high up on the verge of a pine wood the ruins of tusculum large ruddy ruins baked by centuries of sunshine and whence the boundless panorama must have been superb next one passed through marino with its sloping streets its large cathedral and its black decaying palace belonging to the colonnas then beyond a wood of ilex trees the lake of albano was skirted with scenery which has no parallel in the world in front beyond the clear mirror of motionless water were the ruins of alba longa on the left rose monte cavo with rocca di papa and palazzuolo whilst on the right castel gandolfo overlooked the lake as from the summit of a cliff down below in the extinct crater as in the depths of a gigantic cup of verdure the lake slept heavy and lifeless a sheet of molten metal which the sun on one side streaked with gold whilst the other was black with shade and the road then ascended all the way to castel gandolfo which was perched on its rock like a white bird betwixt the lake and the sea ever refreshed by breezes even in the most burning hours of summer the little place was once famous for its papal villa where pious nine loved to spend hours of indolence and whither leo thirteen has never come and next the road dipped down and the ilex trees appeared again ilex trees famous for their size a double row of monsters with twisted limbs two and three hundred years old then one at last reached albano a small town less modernized and less cleansed than frascati a patch of the old land which has retained some of its ancient wildness and afterwards there was ariccia with the palazzo chigi and hills covered with forests and viaducts spanning ravines which overflowed with foliage and there was yet genzano and yet nemi growing still wilder and more remote lost in the midst of rocks and trees ah how ineffaceable was the recollection which pierre had retained of nemi nemi on the shore of its lake nemi so delicious and fascinating from afar conjuring up all the ancient legends of fairy towns springing from amidst the greenery of mysterious waters but so repulsively filthy when one at last reaches it crumbling on all sides but yet dominated by the orsini tower as by the evil genius of the middle ages which there seems to perpetuate the ferocious habits the violent passions the knife thrusts of the past thence came that santo bono whose brother had killed and who himself with his eyes of crime glittering like live embers seemed to be consumed by a murderous flame and the lake that lake round like an extinguished moon fallen into the depths of a former crater a deeper and less open cup than that of the lake of albano a cup rimmed with trees of wondrous vigour and density 
pines elms and willows descend to the very margin with a green mass of tangled branches which weigh each other down this formidable fecundity springs from the vapour which constantly arises from the water under the parching action of the sun whose rays accumulate in this hollow till it becomes like a furnace there is a warm heavy dampness the paths of the adjacent gardens grow green with moss and in the morning dense mists often fill the large cup with white vapour as with the steaming milk of some sorceress of malevolent craft and pierre well remembered how uncomfortable he had felt before that lake where ancient atrocities a mysterious religion with abominable rites seemed to slumber amidst the superb scenery he had seen it at the approach of evening looking in the shade of its forest girdle like a plate of dull metal black and silver motionless by reason of its weight and that water clear and yet so deep that water deserted without a bark upon its surface that water august lifeless and sepulchral had left him a feeling of inexpressible sadness of mortal melancholy the hopelessness of great solitary passion earth and water alike swollen by the mute spasms of germs troublous in their fecundity ah those black and plunging banks and that black mournful lake prone at the bottom count prada began to laugh when pierre told him of these impressions yes yes said he it's true nemi isn't always gay in dull weather i have seen the lake looking like lead and even the full sunshine scarcely animates it for my part i know i should die of ennui if i had to live face to face with that bare water but it is admired by poets and romantic women those who adore great tragedies of passion then as he and pierre rose from table to go and take coffee on the terrace of the restaurant the conversation changed do you mean to attend prince buon giovanni's reception this evening the count inquired it will be a curious sight especially for a foreigner and i advise you not to miss it yes i have an invitation pierre replied a friend of mine monsieur narcisse Arbert, an attache at our embassy procured it for me and i am going with him that evening indeed there was to be a fete at the palazzo buon giovanni on the corso one of the few galas that take place in rome each winter people said that this one would surpass all others in magnificence for it was to be given in honour of the betrothal of little princess celia the prince her father after boxing her ears it was rumoured and narrowly escaping an attack of apoplexy as the result of a frightful fit of anger had all at once yielded to her quiet gentle stubbornness and consented to her marriage with lieutenant attilio the son of minister sacco and all the drawing-rooms of rome those of the white world quite as much as those of the black were thoroughly upset by the tidings count prada made merry over the affair ah you'll see a fine sight he exclaimed personally i'm delighted with it all for the sake of my good cousin attilio who was really a very nice and worthy fellow and nothing in the world would keep me from going to see my dear uncle sacco make his entry into the ancient salons of the buon giovanni it will be something extraordinary and superb he has at last become minister of agriculture you know my father who always takes things so seriously told me this morning that the affair so worried him he hadn't closed his eyes all night the count paused but almost immediately added i say it is half-past two and you won't have a train before five o'clock do you know what you ought to do why drive back to rome with me in my carriage no no rejoined pierre i'm deeply obliged to you but i'm to dine with my friend narcisse this evening and i mustn't be late but you won't be late on the contrary we shall start at three and reach rome before five o'clock there can't be a more pleasant promenade when the light falls and come i promise you a splendid sunset 
he was so pressing that the young priest had to accept quite subjugated by so much amiability and good humour they spent another half hour very pleasantly in chatting about rome italy and france then for a moment they went up into frascati where the count wished to say a few words to a contractor and just as three o'clock was striking they started off seated side by side on the soft cushions and gently rocked by the motion of the victoria as the two horses broke into a light trot as prada had predicted that return to rome across the bare campagna under the vast limpid heavens at the close of such a mild autumn day proved most delightful first of all however the victoria had to descend the slopes of frascati between vineyards and olive trees the paved road snaked and was but little frequented they merely saw a few peasants in old felt hats a white mule and a cart drawn by a donkey for it is only upon sundays that the osterie or wine shops are filled and that artisans in easy circumstances come to eat a dish of kid at the surrounding bastides however at one turn of the road they passed a monumental fountain then a flock of sheep momentarily barred the way before defiling past and beyond the gentle undulations of the ruddy campagna rome appeared amidst the violet vapours of evening sinking by degrees as the carriage itself descended to a lower and lower level there came a moment when the city was a mere thin grey streak speckled whitely here and there by a few sunlit house-fronts and then it seemed to plunge below the ground to be submerged by the swell of the far-spreading fields the victoria was now rolling over the plain leaving the alban hills behind whilst before it and on either hand came the expanse of meadows and stubbles and then it was that the count after leaning forward exclaimed just look ahead yonder there's our man of this morning santo bono in person what a strapping fellow he is and how fast he walks my horses can scarcely overtake him pierre in his turn leant forward and likewise perceived the priest of st mary in the fields looking tall and knotty fashioned as it were with a bill-hook robed in a long black cassock he showed like a vigorous splotch of ink amidst the bright sunshine streaming around him and he was walking on at such a fast stern regular pace that he suggested destiny on the march something which could not be well distinguished was hanging from his right arm when the carriage had at last overtaken him prada told the coachman to slacken speed and then entered into conversation good day abbe you are well i hope he asked very well signor conte i thank you and where are you going so bravely signor conte i am going to rome what to rome at this late hour oh i shall be there nearly as soon as yourself the distance doesn't frighten me and money's quickly earned by walking scarcely turning his head to reply stepping out beside the wheels santo bono did not miss a stride and prada diverted by the meeting whispered to pierre wait a bit he'll amuse us then he added aloud since you are going to rome abbe you had better get in here there's room for you end of section twenty one